And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is Matt Watson, and today I'm excited to be joined by Bill Santana Lee from Nightscope. We're going to talk all about robots today, and uh, this, this is going to be really exciting. Um, before we get started, I do want to remind uh, everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Greetings from Silicon Valley. So I'm excited to talk all about robots. You know, my, my background is in software engineering and, um, you know, I've had the privilege of writing software to control a few things before but never a robot. And uh, that always sounded like a, a fun thing to write software for. Yeah, uh, robots are here. Uh, they're coming to kill everybody and take everyone's job. So it's kind of really easy uh, to just write, you know, the code to, to take care of that. Uh, do you have any experience with like uh, robot sharks with laser beams? Uh, we do have lasers on the machine, but not for what you're intending. Um, we use a, similar to a self-driving car. We, we have tons of lasers on the machine so they can, uh, roam around autonomously, uh, completely unmanned. So you're, you started, you were the founder of this company, right? In 2013. Is that right? That is correct. Company's just over nine years old. April 4th was our, uh, birthday. So how did, how did you guys start this? What, what was the, the genesis behind this? Uh, professional and a personal answer. I think the, the professional one as an, a former automotive executive, I spent a significant amount of time in Detroit and I really built, believe self-driving autonomous technology is going to change the world dramatically. I'm just not in agreement in the path to commercialize the technology. I think you need to take a crawl, walk, run approach as opposed to, I am going to go to Pluto first and not stop at the moon or Mars, uh, which is what everyone else has been primarily been doing, not everyone, but primarily. Uh, I guess second on the personal side, I was born in New York City. Someone hit my town on 9-11. I'm still profoundly pissed off about it. Uh, so I'm dedicating the rest of my life to better securing our country. Um, our, I love my country, but it's deeply flawed in a, a couple of aspects uh, in this regard. And we decided to want to go build a complete new technology stack to give the 2 million officers and guards out there uh, an ability to have them actually do their jobs much, much more effectively than they do today. So when you when you started the company, was security always the goal? Like when you were building these types of robots, or was there like several different use cases that you were you were thinking of, and security just ended up being the one? Or no, uh, I, I get criticized for saying this, but you know, one of the problems with the robotics industry is is roboticists who just focus on I have a robot, I need to go find a problem. Like I'm an ex-car guy. That's not, you know, my motivation. My motivation is to fix the problem for the country, uh, which is crime and terrorism. Uh, you know, has a two trillion dollar negative economic impact on the U.S. every single year. And uh, the focus was, you know, what set of technologies can we put together uh, to make a huge dent in the problem? 
And it turns out that if you combine four really hard ones, uh, you can actually make a difference. So our technology is a unique combination of self-driving autonomous technology, like a, like a self-driving car, uh, robotics, uh, AI, and electric vehicles. And if you can get all that to work 24-7 in the rain across, a, across an entire country with a client down your throat, then you've got something. And, and that's kind of where we're at now. Well, you mentioned earlier self-driving, and so I own a Tesla, and, and I love the idea of self-driving, but it seems like a really, really crazy complicated problem. Yep. I imagine trying to program a, a, a robot to you know, make laps around a, a warehouse that is typically empty looking for you know somebody breaking into the warehouse or whatever, right, would be much simpler problem to solve, like, like, you, like you mentioned, like I, like full yeah, this, self-driving it, on roads and rain crazy. and snow and everything else seems like it, a crazy exactly. problem. This drives me crazy. Like, you know, engineers are really good at solving problems with constrained boundary conditions. And the way, and last I looked, I'm sure I'm a little bit dated on the, on the numbers, but, you know, over $80 billion has been invested in self-driving technologies, 200 plus companies working on it. Collectively, they've shipped all about zero and their revenues are close to zero. It's because one, it's kind of hard. And two, I think it's a dumb way to set up a problem for an engineering team. Like you want to go take a 4,000 pound unmanned vehicle on a public road, uh, random constraints, random environment, random time of day, no regulatory framework, no insurance framework, no legal framework. Please, Mr. and Mrs. Engineer, make sure this works. And it works 100% of the time and nothing ever goes wrong. Like that's a ridiculous assignment. Um, so for me, we intentionally have done something a little bit different, which is, Hey, can we get this to work like three miles an hour outdoors and indoors with lots of people and cars and at, at something that's much more containable, um, in a geofenced area. And if we can get that to work 24 seven, then maybe we can kind of branch out. Right. Well, so, you know, I'm a software engineer by trade. Um, and I know that as a software developer, if my code works perfectly 9,999 times out of 10,000, it works perfectly. Like it it can fail one in 10,000 times and that's acceptable, (laughs) which which is crazy. But, you know, most things have like, you know, a 99.9% uptime or whatever, right? If it's just, if it's a car that's driving itself, that means it might have like ran over somebody and killed somebody yep. that one that that point oh one percent of the time or whatever, right? And then Where, and then remember for us, it's the the software, um, uh, you know, the firmware, the telecommunications. So you know, these machines generate yeah. a massive amount of data. There's the electrical court, you know, portion. Uh, there's the mechanical portion, and all of them. If you combine all those, that tolerance stack up, yeah. Or, you know, that probability of failure, it ends up kind of really being hard. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, and, you know, anybody I've ever talked to that's done computer programming related stuff around hardware, developing hard hardware based stuff that mixes hardware and software together, right, is an extremely difficult challenge. And you guys went all in, right? Like, so I'm, I imagine you've got to have some horror horror stories of like, Hey, we built the hardware, we got the firmware, you know, we, we, we go to manufacturing, we get the product and it doesn't work at all. Right. Yeah, like no I'm, idea I'm, what you're talking, no idea what you're talking about. Everything works just fine. First shot out was perfect. Like, like, yeah, you know, hot knife through butter. <laughs> I call bullshit. 
the first, let's see. So the company was founded in 2013. The first machine that was put out in the wild was uh, for the Star Wars fans out there, May the 4th, uh, 2015. Um, and it was horrifying. Is the It was literally something was breaking every two hours. And for four months, either someone on the team or the entire company did an all-nighter. I mean, it was just, it was horrifying. It got so bad that some, at one point after those four initial months, I'm like, okay, just just bring the machines back home. We we need to like do the next version and then release that because th- this is untenable. So um, when that first release, like what what was the what was the product that you you released there? What 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 were you doing? Like what was the project? Uh, it's the Nightscope K5. It's out there today. That's our most popular product. It was version two point um, we're on, working on version 5.0 now, uh, but it's a 400 pound, a five foot tall, three foot wide machine that roams around primarily outdoors, uh, up to three miles an hour in, you know, crowded environments with either vehicles or, or people or both, uh, to help security guards do their, their jobs a, a bit more effectively, as I mentioned, uh, before, but it was that, that same product that we've been iterating on and, and finally got it working at, at scale now. Yes. So you mentioned that product. Do you have other, other products as well? Do you, um, do you guys have a huge product suite? Do you guys do like, yeah, if you go to, if you go to nightscope.com, uh, that we have, uh, three machines in production, uh, a fourth one coming. And then there's a fifth one that's also in development. Um, so there's the K5 that I just mentioned, which is primarily outdoors. There's a smaller version called the K3. It's a four foot tall primarily for indoors. Uh, then we have a stationary version that's rather large for ingress, egress locations. Uh, let's say at a casino or hospital or uh, a real estate development company or something like that. Um, and then we have a smaller version of that coming out later this year. And then if all goes well, uh, the fifth generation uh, version of the K5 uh, outdoor machine will also get released uh, this year. So we've operated more than a million and I think about a million and a half hours now. Uh, and we hold contracts from Hawaii through Texas to North Carolina. Um, and we've been operating 24 seven, 365 fully unmanned. There's no one, despite what the internet might say, there's nobody inside. Um, and these are, you know, level five, uh, equivalent. And, uh, it's been uh, an interesting ride. We've, we have a lot of quote unquote lessons learned. I'll say. Have you ever done any kind of uh, military or government kind of contracts work? Oh, lots of fun. Um, so we're about more than halfway through a two-year cybersecurity review with the U.S. federal government. Uh, so we actually hold a contract with the federal government. We can't uh, perform on it because we haven't gotten the cybersecurity clearance. Uh, so there's this lovely two-year process that we're going through. If everything goes well, cross fingers, uh, end of this year, we should get an ATO or authority to operate. Um, and this would be certainly not on the battlefield. Uh, this would to help, you know, the Department of Defense better secure assets and, and people. Uh, same for Veterans Affairs, for FEMA, for the 10,000 buildings that the GSA manages, the who have the Federal Protective Services have another 15,000 officers and guards that protect those buildings the 400 plus federal courthouses that the U.S. Marshals uh, uh, oversee, uh, Customs and Border Patrol. I mean, the TSA, the list just goes on and on yeah. and on and on. 
Yeah, I mean, so could you see them using robots like this to, um, well, so how fast did they move? You said up to three miles an hour, or are there yeah, some the ones that go we have in production faster? now? In the future, okay. you know, obviously. I don't think you want to be doing three miles an hour at the border. So yeah, that's what I was thinking in my head. I'm like three miles an hour on the border is not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. So we have a K seven. That's a, a really difficult uh, project uh, that we're working on. It's a four wheel version of our technology. Uh, it's the size of a small car basically. Um, and has all the complexities associated with it. So typically give, give us an example of, of how somebody t- typically uses this for security. Like, Sure, what is a real sure. world case? You mentioned like it helps other security guards or police. Like what does it tell them? Like, I'm just kind of curious the, the real world use case there in more uh, detail. Sure. Um, so I'm going to break, I'll break this down into kind of two different parts. Uh, one less obvious than the other. So the less obvious one, if you don't spend time on security, I'll just give you two examples and then you'll get it. Uh, one is just to provide a physical deterrence. So if I put a marked law enforcement vehicle in front of your home or your office, criminal behavior will change, right? Just physically being there or you're going down the highway and uh, you see a patrol vehicle on the side of the road. Frankly, don't care what speed you're doing. You are going to look down at your speedometer and or pump your brakes, right? It's just a natural uh, reaction. So if you're wanting to do something nefarious and you're going, I don't know, to a hospital at three o'clock in the morning, you want to go steal a car and you pull up and you see this five foot tall, 400 pound machine roaming around. It says security or police on the side of it. There's strobe light going. Uh, It's making some interesting sounds or might announce itself or what have you. You have no idea what it does. You are going to not steal that car or do it somewhere else. And that is one major um, effective uh, piece of uh, uh, impact that we've had. Uh, The second is the machines generate over 90 terabytes of data a year that no human's going to be able to process. Uh, so we put that in a browser-based user interface that it's more easily digestible for a guard or officer to basically have their eyes, ears, and voice on the ground in multiple locations at the same time. So they have 360-degree live streaming HD video at their fingertips recorded and live. Uh, they've got an ability to read several hundred license plates a minute. Uh, we can do facial recognition. We can treat your mobile device as if it's a, uh, a license plate, uh, kind of sniffing for, for MAC addresses. Um, we can uh, run a thermal scan of the environment. Uh, the officers can uh, speak through the machine as if it's a mobile PA system. Uh, and those are kind of some basics. So our clients are, you know, major corporate campuses, you know, like a Citizens Bank or Bank of Hawaii or Houston Methodist Hospital. Uh, or a Samsung or something like that. And let's just say someone got fired last week and it didn't go well. They're worried the person might come back. Uh, so they can upload the profile pic, uh, the license plate, and all the mobile devices. And the machines are literally on the lookout 24-7 uh, for uh, those detections. So th- so these things can act- actually maneuver around a parking lot and they're smart enough to realize when there's cars driving around and all that kind of stuff and like getting away, getting out of the way of the cars or like, yep, yep, yep. it still seems like a dangerous, a dangerous, you know, yeah, situation. So, uh, <laughs> in Colorado, we're going up and down a nine story parking structure. Yeah. Uh, you know, pre COVID imagine three o'clock on Saturday at the mall indoors and you got mayhem of people and kids and whatever, and you got to be able to patrol uh, through that. 
And, uh, you know, given your technical background, I think you're, the wheels are turning. You know how hard that can that can Oh, yeah. Be. This is a complicated problem to solve. Yep. So if you're maneuvering around the inside of a mall, what kind of behavior would these robots look for? You know, you know are they, I mean, are they look, you know, using AI to figure out like, oh, this, this dude looks like he's trying to steal something or like, you know, what, what are they looking for if they're running around inside of a busy mall? Um, so for example, uh, you know, the, a couple of things, uh, give you live examples that actually happened. Um, so obviously we've got live streaming and recorded video. Uh, we stopped a fraudulent insurance claim. Uh, someone decided to sue the, the commercial property owner, uh, because they fell down the stairs. Um, we, uh, we, the client notified us of the, the issue. We happened to have the footage of the person throwing themselves down the stairs. And so I was like, Hey, is this you, <laughs> do you want to retract that claim again? Uh, so that, that was helpful. Another is, um, usually, especially smash and grabs, people come back to the scene of the crime. Uh, so the machines can within 500 feet of the machine or so, uh, read any kind of mobile device and, and the, and the make of the device, then you can put that on a blacklist and be on the lookout. Um, so you're able to then go, oh, at 10.22 in the morning, these four devices were within five feet of the machine. Let's pull the video from that particular uh, timestamp. Oh, look, who's back, right? Um, uh, and then lastly, you can do um, uh, just customer service stuff that's super easy. You know, it's 9.30, the mall is closing in, in 30 minutes, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, or you're driving by Starbucks if you want to have some fun with it, you know, happy father's day, or you're driving by Starbucks and, you know, time for coffee, uh, that sort of thing. But it gives the guards, uh, an ability to remotely monitor, uh, an area. Cause remember a security guard, an, an armed, uh, off duty officer is about 85 bucks an hour. Uh, an unarmed guard, depending on what you want him or her to do is about 15 to 35 bucks an hour. Uh, depending on which machine you pick, uh, we're somewhere in the three to nine dollars an hour. Uh, oh, wow, so yeah. that dramatically changes the the economics and the well, capabilities. Yeah, and I was going to say your your robots can do so much more than a security guard can do. So my nephew is one of those security guards that makes like twenty bucks an hour, and he had a job where his whole job was to sit and stare at like cameras all day, and it was like at a, a corporate, you yep. know, uh, and after eight minutes. Office, He's completely not affected. He's on TikTok. <laughs> I guarantee it. He's 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 chasing, you know, he's watching videos on TikTok or chasing girls online or something. And yeah, I can only imagine. It's just a boring job, let's be honest. It's just a boring it's boring as hell. So, I mean, it's a perfect kind of job that you could use robots to help do that, you know, they don't get bored. They're just going to keep or said differently cuz you know, uh a lot of people are like, "Oh, you're going to replace all the guards or whatever." It's like, "Okay, can we please just stop and do some math first? Uh, so basic principle, you've got a million officers across the country. you got a million guards. Uh, so that's 2 million humans, but you can't triple shift a human and they're all running 24 seven. So you kind of, kind of divide by four. So at any given time, you've only got 500,000 people trying to secure 328 million Americans across 50 states, across a very large country. Like that math doesn't work. And that's why, you know, there's so much criminal activity. I mean, look up, uh, go uh, look up the FBI crime clock and you'll be horrified 
as to what happens every four seconds or every 20 seconds. Um, yeah. And so if we can possibly uh, promote the guard, quote unquote, you know, most guards, it's 100 to 400% employee turnover rates. They can't keep the guards in the job because it's one, it's horrifying job two, if it is a job. And then two, they don't have the tools to do their jobs. But what if we were to, uh, was it your nephew? Did you say? Yeah, my nephew. Yeah. Okay. What if we told your nephew like, hey, we have these seven security robots. They now report to you. And now you have the ability to actually do your job much more effectively. And because these things are so much more cost effective, maybe we can, the guarding company or the client can pay you appropriately. Uh, that becomes a different conversation, right? Yeah. And, and honestly, being a security guard just sounds like a terrible job. Like I could, I can only imagine like working at a mall and, you know, you get some irate customer at a store or Starbucks or whatever it is. Right. And you got to call security and be like, you got to get this jack wagon out of here. They're just making a big scene or they weren't, they won't wear their mask. And, you know, we require like whatever it is, like, it just seems like a terrible. Well, it gets worse actually. Um, most people don't know this. I, I think the number 17, uh, in about 17 States, it's illegal for a guard to put their hands on you. Yeah. And in all 50 states, contractually, they typically are not allowed to put their hands on you. Why? Because we live in a very litigious society and the client or the guarding company doesn't want the liability of an untrained human uh, interceding and trying to play, you know, cop on TV. Well, a uh, quick reminder, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Um, so one thing I, I want to ask you more about was, you know, you start this company in Silicon Valley in 2013, building robots with AI and, and self-driving and, you know, hardware, all the software it takes. I can only imagine that required a huge team and amount of effort. So did you, were you guys able to build any kind of proof of concepts of this, like without raising capital, or did you guys have to first you know, build out the big plan and go raise a bunch of money to even build like version one of this? Like what, what was the, the kind of startup process of that, of, of getting to like an MVP, right? Because you don't just make an MVP of this in your garage, I don't imagine. Yeah, it's kind of kind of in between. Uh, so when we started to uh, try to raise money for the company, I'm like, okay, this is in the national security interests of the United States of America. We want to make the country the safest con uh, country in the world packed filled of technology. I live here in Silicon Valley, $130 billion goes into startups every year. This is going to be an easy lift. We'll get this financed and off we go. And I was told the following, Hey, Bill, you're out of your mind. This will never work. Second, um, it's hardware and software too complicated. Yeah. You should pick one. Yep. Uh, three, Hey, Bill, um, physical security is not an investment thesis. You need to go away. And so it took me 364 days to raise the seed round. I just needed a million bucks to kind of just get going and see if we can. It was absolutely bloody painful. Um, so, you know, the, the, the positive side of it was, you know, the company's nine years old. You know, the probability, you know, 95% of startups fail, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the probability of starting a company, getting it funded, growing it, and then listing it on NASDAQ, um, you're... I think my wife told me of something along the lines of uh, the probability somewhere of one in 350 million or something stupid like lotter lottery. You won the lottery kind of levels, um, but we were able to do it. So we ended up raising 
over those nine years, about $120 million uh, wow. to build all this stuff uh, from scratch from 35,000 investors. Uh, no VCs, no PE shops, no hedge funds. Uh, and then subsequently uh, listed it on NASDAQ uh, uh, this past uh, January under ticker symbol uh, KSCP. And so we, we closed out the first very long chapter of getting this built uh, from scratch. And, you know, people started realizing they probably shouldn't bet against us. You know, so the same management team that started the company kind of willed this into existence. We were told it would never work. Yeah, well, it's working all across the country. It won't be effective. Yeah, well, go to nightscope.com slash crime and go see how positive, what positive impact the machines have had on society. Um, and now we have clients all, uh, all across the country. So um, the next, you know, the next decade is going to be really interesting as, as we grow Nightscope. So from, so from when you started the company, like you have the idea to the time that you had an MVP that you could put in front of a customer and actually provide them a product. How long did it take you to get there? Was that a two year? Uh, that three was year? So April 4th of 2013, we incorporated the company May the 4th of 2015. So I guess what's that over two years Yeah, to get something uh, at a paying client for a proof of concept, which, you know, went, it was horrifying. Which did not work very well. <laughs> it, it, it worked. It was just uh, impossible to, to keep it running yeah. um, without a lot of re-engineering, but well, yeah, I, more than two years. Well, and I think that's the key thing that the listeners need to hear, right? It took you two years to get from an idea to a product you could ship that still had a lot of bugs to work out, right? So it probably took you another year, six to 12 months, I would guess, to work out a lot of those the, those bugs and, and really get it all all down. Mm. Or maybe nine years. We didn't start scaling <laughs> in, in, in any er, in earnest until probably 2017. We left, we started operating outside of California. So, you know, that's a good four plus years. And, and that's the thing. It's like, the the problem I have, the way the companies are are financed, is it's it's skewed. Um, I mentioned one hundred thirty billion dollars goes into startups every year. About eighty percent goes into software. You know, maybe ten percent into biotech, and then ten percent into other. I'm sorry, but that's not how the world works. You just don't download everything from the cloud, and in ninety days you're kind of up and running. Um, I mean, look at look at SpaceX and Tesla. You know, those were founded in uh, 2002 and 2003, if I'm not mis uh, mistaken. You know, it's a couple of decades to go really build a, a serious company. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, these are times where, you know, you need serious people to work on serious technology and you need serious investors who are not looking for, you know, the next photo sharing, you know, nonsense app. You know, life's short. You, you need to be dedicating your time on stuff that's meaningful. Um, yeah. and not playing, you know, little games with, uh, with, with, with silly technology. Well, it's, it's, you know, you guys are solve a really, a, uh, a real problem, right? But it's not sexy. It, it's not, it's not the new late, you know, it's not cool. Right. But it's, a, but it's a problem that needs to be solved. Um, yeah. And you know, that's, there's the rub, right? Um, to me, I find it hilarious where, you know, there's always this hardware is hard theme and it, it, it ticks me off to the nth degree. So you've got most of these investors are ex software people, ex finance people. And then they go, oh, hardware is like really hard. And that's like, 
a bunch of lawyers starting a hospital and then going, you know, surgery is kind of, it's so hard. Like you have no sector expertise. Of course it's yeah, hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's a, a big problem. And, and I, I, I feel for founders and entrepreneurs that are, are trying to do meaningful uh, work and they shouldn't have to, you know, pull teeth to get stuff financed. It's just not, it, it's, it's not appropriate. Um, and, you know, and a lot of this financing um, from traditional sources is highly toxic. Uh, so, you, you know, kind of need to be careful where you get the capital. A lot of founders and entrepreneurs spend way too much time on product market fit, product market fit, product market fit. And no one ever asks them, did you ever spend five minutes thinking about capital to company fit? Where did you get the money to do what you're trying to do? And is it the right kind of money to make sure that you can actually not be the 95% of casualties that that end up failing? Well, so talk talk to me more about, so it took you a couple of years to kind of get this first MVP out. And you talked about it took you a year to raise, you know, a, a seed round of, you know, roughly a million dollars or whatever. What where did the tide turn for you of like, hey, we built this MVP. Now people see value in this thing. We've got a few customers. Now it's easier to raise capital. Did, did that ever, did the tide ever turn there or was it always just difficult? The, not, I, I kind of half joke, you know, I started this, I was seven feet tall. I'm four foot five now. Like <laughs> it was bloody painful throughout the entire process. It never um, got and, easier. No, it's, you know, I've, I'm not proud to say this. I've done probably more financial engineering than actual engineering, which is, which is not healthy. Um, but I am determined as my team is to will listen to existence and make sure that we can make the change that we've told everyone that needs to happen. So, the, I mean, that's important. One important point I always try to, um, uh, print up, you know, make obvious for founders and, and entrepreneurs is whatever you're working on you kind of need to pick something you're not just passionate about because this is really hard. And, you know, when everything's going backwards and, and, you know, people throwing rocks and banana peels everywhere, like you kind of need to be able to plow through it and you're not going to plow through it. If it's not something you're deeply exactly. madly in love with, yep. you have to be, you know, you have to do the irrational, illogical, and sometimes stupid things to make sure that at three o'clock in the morning, when you know all hell's breaking loose, that you're going to have the stamina to 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 make it through. I mean, it's the most important thing: is don't ever quit and don't ever let anyone tell you no. If you know that you something needs to happen, um, and people are just not seeing it. And you thought it through, and you know, not every cockamamie idea is the right thing to work on, but you can kind of see the other side. You're going to have to figure out how to get all the naysayers to say, you know, okay, let's go do this. Now, I mean, you might imagine if I closed 35,000 investors, how many people told us no? And you got to be willing to get up the next morning and get back in the ring. And I kind of half joke with folks is like, you want to know the founder's diet? The founder's diet is you get punched in the face for breakfast, you get kicked <laughs> in the stomach for lunch, and then you get body slammed for dinner. And then you got to wake up the next morning all smiley and get on the media interview, the recruiting thing, the financial analyst thing, a call with whatever regulatory thing. And you just got to keep plowing through it. And you got to do that for not, not a week, 
not a month, not a year, but you got to be able to, you know, do that sustained for a decade or so. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you just said all that because that that's what people need to hear. Right. I mean, people, you definitely got to have the passion to keep going through the ups and downs. And there's a lot of ups and downs and, uh, I've, I've been there, but most people just don't realize it. It's not a job. I mean, it's, it's not like, Oh, I had a bad day. Yeah, you you got to have a screw loose to be doing this. It, so you, yeah, this is it's not normal, rational thing no, to be doing. It's not just a job, right? If you're, if you're a founder of a company, it's way more than just a job. You can't just walk away from the problem, you know, yeah. you, and, and things go bad. Things go sideways almost every day. And, you know, quote unquote, the analysts don't care. The regulators don't care. The lawyers don't care. The auditors don't care. Your clients don't care. Your suppliers don't care. Your team doesn't care. And sometimes your, your family may not be in tune with what you're doing either. And somehow the whole world's against you or, you know, at neutral, which is sometimes worse. And you have to figure out how to get from A to B. Um, and that's why you need to work on stuff that's really important um, that you're willing to kind of, uh, do the irrational, illogical and stupid things to make sure you get to the other side. So no doubt business is always hard and it's always changing and, and there's always new challenges, but it's, but at some point in time you get past some of these harder stages, right. And it becomes a, a little, a little more fun anyway. <laughs> and you, you can, you know, like I know my first company, we got to a stage where like we were sort of kicking ass and taking names. Like we had problems that we had challenges, right? But it was wasn't as stressful anymore. Do you feel like you guys have got there? Are you at that point? No, the stakes are higher. It's just it's a the order of magnitude of problems is different. Um, but you're still like I need we need to get revenue up. We need to get costs down. We need to keep our you know we're publicly traded so. You got to keep our, all the filings and regulatory stuff, the, the non-glamorous things, machine going. Uh, you need to recruit awesome talent. You need to retain awesome talent. You need to put you know technology plans in place and kind of see in the future where you want to be. Do you have enough production capacity? What are we going to do with the facilities? How do we get rid of this supplier? How do we onboard this new vendor? I mean, it's, you know, it's a never-ending onslaught of a workload. Um, I think this, the subjects change, um, but to me, it's, you know, it's, it's equivalent of a hundred simultaneous equations that you're trying to solve. You know, by the way, while you're trying to solve them, the, cha the equation's changing. Um, so it, it kind of gets really, really hard and the stakes get higher, right? So I, you guys are publicly traded. So I, I'm, I Googled your uh, stock, you know, ticker and I'm looking at here. So is this right? It says your guys is, um, it says your was your quarterly revenue is like is it like a million dollars a month or a million dollars a quarter? But you guys are still burning a lot of a lot of cash. Uh, yep. I mean, we're you know, like I mentioned, about a couple hundred companies have worked on autonomous technology. Yeah. Uh, collectively, they've delivered all about zero. I think our lifetime revenue is on the order of you know just north of fourteen or around fifteen million bucks. Uh, last year, we did about three point three million. Um, and top line revenue, and we'll continue to to uh, to grow it. Um, and things are, you know, kind of looking up. Long term, I think we've got a shot to build a, a thirty billion dollar company uh, that has a wide portfolio of technologies to help the Department of Homeland Security, uh, Department of Justice, the nineteen thousand law enforcement agencies, and eight thousand private security firms actually do their jobs. Uh, so, long term prospects. This is going to, uh, you know, take time, and I'm prepared to spend the next 
two or three decades, making sure that uh, we can have a shot at making the U.S. the safest country in the world. So what you're saying is, is this is really damn hard. Yep. This is really I mean, even, damn even hard, but publicly am, traded now, you guys are, you're still, still in the thick of the fight of it, you know, still in the, yeah. still, and, still know, trying to get announced, We just, you know, we just announced a hundred million dollar um, committed equity facility with, with B Riley that will allow us to continue uh, uh, to grow. But, you know, we've got an unbelievable team. We, who have uh, a lot of sector ex- expertise, um, you know, our finance accounting team, I think collectively have done seven IPOs and 22 secondaries. Like that's not normal. Um, you know, our chief uh, intelligence officer, she's an award-winning technologist. Um, we've got a lot of ex-law enforcement military folks on the, on the team, some awesome roboticists. Um, and, you know, we keep making progress. And again, you got a lot, never let anyone tell you uh, no. And you just keep plowing away, and then people start realizing, like, man, you know, probably shouldn't bet against those guys. Like, they're, <laughs> they're determined to to yeah. uh, make sure this is successful, and they've got a track record of doing what they say they're going to go do. So, is this a very competitive space? You guys have major competitors? No, not really. Um, this is a again a really hard set of technology. Nobody's as crazy as you. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I, I think it makes it hard because security and law enforcement are really hard to sell into. Yeah. The technology is really hard. And then the financing of it is kind of non-existent, right? We're not yep. a, um, so you put those three things together. It's really hard. I'll, I'll put it in a different context. Um, you know, folks always ask, well, why should we, you know, be looking at Nightscope? And I say, well, three simple questions. Uh, one, do you believe that self-driving autonomous technology, robotics, AI, and electric vehicles are going to massively change the world in the next decade or two? Binary question, yes or no, right? Um, and Nightscope's literally at the intersection of that. So, uh, so that's the first thing. Second is, you know, everyone, investors are always worried about, you know, will the market collapse for what you're doing? Will this ever, you know, I don't know, station wagons coming back, flip phones coming back or not, or that sort of thing? I can assure you the market for crime will never collapse. Yeah. It's not like 7 billion people are going to wake up tomorrow morning and all start behaving, right? Um, and then lastly, you've got a management team and, and the collective team that have you know been able to show you put the capital in, like we'll actually produce. So, you know, we don't, we, obviously the technology can always be improved. We have, you know, a 30-year roadmap ahead of us of what needs to be done. But we don't really have a technical risk. We don't really have a market risk. So it just comes down to execution. Um, and that's why we're wanting to grow the company methodically and carefully. You know, not the silly hockey stick nonsense that people like to put on a PowerPoint. It looks really good in a PowerPoint deck, but then you got to go execute it is not, you know, then reality hits. So what, what is your goal? What, I mean, is your goal to grow 40% a year? Like, what, what is your goal? Uh, the goal is to secure the U.S., um, we don't provide earnings guidance because obviously we're at the bleeding edge of, uh, of technology and no one in the history of mankind has ever done this before. So it's a little disingenuous to say, yeah, I'm going to predict the future in the next three or four quarters uh, when no one's ever done this before. So. Yeah, sure. So when people um, buy your product, do, is it all a subscription? Like, oh, I pay $10 an hour to use it? Like kind of like what you mentioned earlier? Or do they like, oh, no, I have to write a check for hundred grand and I buy this thing? 
Um, it's similar to, you know, when you hire guards, typically they pay on a monthly basis or whatever. We have some clients that do pay all up front. Um, but we're typically running 24 uh, seven. It's a, it's, it is a subscription as you noted. Um, and it's all inclusive. So hardware, software, decals, telecom, data storage, uh, maintenance, support 24 seven, um, that sort of stuff all is all included. So you got one throat to choke for us to handle it. Like our clients don't have time to go set up the robot maintenance service division. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, so does that make it so it's a pretty easy barrier to entry for them of like, okay, yeah. Okay. It's a few hundred dollars a month or a few thousand dollars a month. And it's, it's not a, it's not a crazy capital expense for them to, to, to get your product, to get your service. Yeah, that, that's that's a good way to think about it. Um, you know, it's a lot. If they already have guards, they know how much how much that can be. Yeah. And if it's a cost reduction versus that, it gets a, a lot easier uh, entry point. But that's got to make it very capital um, expensive on your end to basically finance the devices, right? You have to make the devices, and you're basically selling them as a subscription. So it's very capital intensive for you. Um, it's all about cost of capital. So last year we announced a $10 million funding facility, uh, to make sure that we're not tying up our precious equity, uh, to finance assets out in the field. Uh, so we've got that arrangement in place and it's working just fine. Yeah. Yep. It's just the different business models. You have different decisions, right? Like you, you've got to, yep. you got to build these things and you got to sell them, but there's a lot of capital up front to build them. Yeah. But I mean, the, the economics get really interesting. So uh, on average, you know, one contracts maybe uh, on average across the different machines, maybe seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. Um, and over five years, you're going to generate, you know, well north of three hundred thousand dollars of revenue. Um, and if the margins then look like, huh, per unit economics look like luxury automotive, right? It's almost a brand new luxury car every year, but your margins look more like a software as a service company. Yeah this ends up getting kind of really interesting. Yeah, it's, 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 I always joke, it's like you give the needle away to sell the drug sort of thing, right? Like you, you guys have to, you pay all the money to get the devices out there, but then they have to keep paying for it. They keep paying for it, keep paying for it. But you got to create value, right? And yeah. at, at some point there's a tipping point. Like, you know, this, the silly example would be, do you think a, a real estate developer would ever be allowed today to build a, uh, a new building without a smoke alarm or a fire alarm? Like you would look at me like, why are we having this conversation? So, you know, five, 10, 15 years from now, at some point, you know, someone is the, the liability is going to shift. Oh, you didn't want to pay seven bucks an hour to properly secure your facility with the most advanced technologies capable. Yeah. Like you're liable. Like you were, you're reckless for, for doing that. So at some point in time, there is that. Yeah. Well, so do you think that is more of a, I'm not it, just the market change of like, oh yeah, everybody does this. Like every mall in the country has this service. Like why wouldn't you have this? It's just like, oh, yeah, I mean, standard, it's, it's, a standard it's everywhere. Tool. It's power utilities. Um, it's malls, it's commercial real estate, it's casinos, it's manufacturing plants, uh, logistics facilities, airports, rail, uh, gas stations, warehouses. I mean, it's hospitals. It's, it's pretty much everywhere across, uh, across the country. Um, and yeah, there's, there needs to be a new way. L listen, the country's over 200 years old. We're in our 46th president. The first role of government is to what? Protected citizens. Yeah. And somehow we have a $2 trillion negative economic impact every year and no one gets fired. Like, hello? 
Yeah. We need to fix this. I don't think the founders of our country, you know, speaking of founders, I don't think the founders of our country ever expected us to build a society where going to work, going to school or going to the movie theater literally came with the risk of being shot or killed. Like that's just not okay. Well, once again, um, reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by FullScale, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Um, also, be sure to find the Startup Hustle uh, chat group on Facebook and join the chat. There's always some interesting uh, conversations going on there with other founders and, and entrepreneurs. You know, um, Bill, what I love about your company is you guys are solving a really hard problem. And it's a problem that needs to be solved. It's not necessarily sexy or cool. You know, it's not Instagram. It's not Facebook. You know, it's it's utility that everybody needs. Like you're solving a real, real world problem, but it's a really difficult problem to solve. And thank you for trying to solve the problem. I mean, <laughs> I totally understand what you're trying to do. I see it. I get it. Um, you know, it's like the markets have to, not really, maybe markets not, but like cultural, you know, cultural change around like, oh, yeah. Everybody has a robot that helps do security. Why wouldn't you have one of those, right? Exactly. Like it makes total sense to me. Exactly. And I appreciate you guys uh, having us on the show. Uh, for those of you that want to go check out the robots and actually see them in, in real life, uh, just go to nightscope.com slash roadshow. Uh, we've got a crazy, what I kind of call a robot aquarium running around the country. Uh, we've done like maybe three dozen stops so far where uh, people can come and see and, and touch and feel uh, the robots and talk to our sales team uh, to kind of better understand uh, the, the capabilities and technology. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, any other final uh, words of wisdom for other entrepreneurs that are listening to the show today? Yes. You got to pick something that you really love and and stick with it. Don't let anyone tell you no. You just got to keep powering through it. And you know, one little trick I use is um, something I call negative fuel. Like there's just so many haters. There's so many people that want you to fail. Uh, so, so many people that could help and, and don't, and you just need to use that so you can power through. Um, and it's the, maybe it's the, I'll show you, or maybe it's the New York and me or whatever, but, um, you need to kind of use all that. Cause it's a lot, it's a lot of negativity, a lot of no, 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 that's stupid. No, 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 it will never work. No, no, no. And you know, it does feel uh, really sweet when you actually are able to achieve what everyone said was supposedly quote unquote impossible. Just got to keep fighting the fight. I, I love earlier what you said, the, uh, three meals a day were, what, what were those again? Remind everybody. Oh, the founder diet. Yeah. yeah, we should do like an infographic or something. You, <laughs> so you get you get punched in the face for breakfast, you get kicked in the stomach for lunch, and then you get body slammed for dinner. That's it. All right. Well, we'll we'll end it there. Thank you so much. This is um, uh, Bill Santana Lee talking about Nightscope, and uh, thank you so much, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.